0: So, Guy, Nick mason sourceful of Secrets, of which
1: we are um, two-fifths, right, are, we're going back out on the road in the summer across the UK.
2: We are. We're, it's all of June, so brace yourself. What's it called? It's called the Set the Controls Tour. What a brilliant name. Who do you uh, think could have come up with such a great name for a tour, I Gary? I wonder. I mm-hmm. think I'm looking at him, right? But then You're I like, did come up with uh, Nick mason sourceful of Secrets. You did, and in fact, that came up on a podcast then because you were inspired by Woody Woodman's u Boat, weren't you? I was, yes. Anyway, anyway but enough of that. So... Join Nick, Guy, Lee Harris, uh, Don Beacon, and
1: me as we celebrate the early years with, you know, that incredible, it's an incredible body of work, isn't it? The early Pink Floyd. It goes up to, just before Dark Side of the Moon. goes up to 1972, with all the
2: film soundtracks, all the Sid stuff, stuff you've never yeah. heard. Stuff that no one's ever Echoes, heard, frankly. Echoes, obviously. Echoes is the big sort of, you um, know, uh, what is that? What would you call it? Magnum Opus. Yeah, I love a Magnum, don't you?
1: Yeah, I never met Magnum. was <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, tickets are on sale now, and you can buy yours at uh, myticket.co.uk.
2: And Kilimanjaro Live presents Nick Mason's Sourceful of Secrets: The Set the Control Tour. Hello, Gary. Hey, guy. How are you? I'm good. Big one, yes. It's a big one this week, isn't it? It's a very big one, uh, and it kind of kind of feeds on from last week. In that yeah. this was this guy was a major influence on the clash. Of course,
1: Mick Jones was a big fan and went to all the shows. In, in fact, isn't there a producer? What, what producer? Yeah, he,
2: he ends he co-produced an album uh, with Mick Ronson in 1981. It was short back and sides.
1: That's right. That's right.
2: Now, I, I I've got a question for you. Yes.
1: And it's what do you think could be the greatest intro of a
2: record ever? Right. Now, I'm assuming this is loaded and that you want me to say <laughs> I don't Uh, because I want to say that it's for me all the young dudes is one of the greatest intros ever oh no it's one of the greatest intros ever for me it's always going to be Barbara O'Reilly
1: Mark well yeah there you go there's another one Mark Radcliffe cleverly said that the intro of all the young dudes was the chimes of freedom
2: yes it is it's very much that yeah
1: I've never I don't think that. well I mean Ziggy Stardust is probably another one but that but that sound at the beginning which is hardly repeated in the song
2: it's funny you say Ziggy Stardust because it's it's that it's the it's a Ronson guitar riff isn't it I don't know if Ronson played it but it's sound it's exactly the same sort of motif at the start of Ziggy and the start of All the Young Dudes
1: it's a a question to ask Ian because I don't know if that was Mick Ralphs or or Ronson I mean obviously Bowie produced that record and Bowie wrote it did Mick play on it Um, whatever happens I mean Mick Mick Ralphs. and have
2: got big history already by they this have. point
1: but, but sorry went on ronno rather than mick because it's mick ralph's too right, so Ralf, we'll get yes. confused it's mick but, and ronno yes but mick ralph's because his guitar sound on that whole album with the choked off wah wah to be a bit technical sounds so
2: ronson it's very it? ronson yeah <laughs> but anyway but it's funny do you know what I'm talking about because i remember actually no we should be hang on i've got stuff that this should all be saved should all be saved for our legendary guest
1: Yes, it should. But this intro thing might be an idea for a midweek special.
2: I think this could very, very well be an idea for a special. And it'd be quite interesting if our listeners want to put in ideas of what they think is the greatest intro. For instance, I know that um, this was put in my head by Johnny Marr, right, as so many things are, uh, um, that um, Gimme Shelter is, is the greatest intro of all time.
1: Right, 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 right. Tumbling dice is very close to that. Listen, yeah, that's got that great guitar this, lick this that great, never reappears. This is a great
2: game, isn't it? This is one the, you can sit in the pub with this all night long. So yes, tell us what you think is the greatest. In fact, you can, can sit in the pub
1: all the day and all the night. and have another great intro.
2: Right through till the Waterloo sunset. (laughs) I I think,
1: yeah, listen, we're opening this up uh, to all you guys to uh, send us some uh, social media ideas on this and maybe we could get together and have a a midweek special.
2: Yes, this is in fact going out to all the young dudes. (laughs) Ah, let's get him on. Welcome to The Rock on Tours. Okay, guys, I'm ready. But it's a big tune, for sure. I actually wrote that originally for Tina Turner. Of
3: course, I had gone and found Joni Mitchell, Ben Reporter, Florida, and brought her back. I've listened to a few of them, and they've been really good, man. I'm Sitting in the back of the car, coming into
2: London, they're brilliant. Thank you, guys, for still being around, still making music, still being into it, and doing this podcast. It, it's, uh, it's fabulous.
3: Well, I get the feeling that us three should go for a pint. That's what I think. I'm in a band now. <laughs> it's called Roxy Music. You know
1: this thing about the 10,000 hours of experience? Oh yeah, you know, to, to get good at something. When
3: we recorded Arnold Lane, we'd done about 50 hours. The Rock Hunters Podcast with Gary
2: Kemp and Guy Pratt. Keep on rocking! Hello.
1: Hello. <laughs> that's, the most, that's the most famous hello in the business, Ian. <laughs>
3: well, three of them, yeah. Hello, hello,
2: <laughs> Brilliant. Hello, Ian. I'm Guy.
3: I'm Gary. Yeah, nice to meet you.
1: Listen, Ian. Thank you so much for coming on. I've been badgering your daughter to get you on for quite a long time now. But Defiance Part One, this new album, Guy and I we, are absolutely loving, loving it. Loving it. it. It's, oh, it it's one of the best albums I think you've ever released. It's so incredible, and I mean, what a list of people on it! And possibly Jeff Beck's last guitar solo, I think, is on one of the tracks.
3: It was. It's on uh, Defiance 2. He does one on Defiance 1, and he does one on Defiance 2, and apparently uh. the on Defiance 2, which is not actually a solo. He's just playing along. But apparently, according to his manager, that was the last thing he did.
2: So with this album, w- was no one ever in the room together? Was it all locked down, or was, did you all... Did you well, Andy, to...
3: Andy York's the guy that I've been working with for a long, long time. He plays guitar mm-hmm. for Mellencamp, and um, he came over with a computer and a little black box and a little keyboard and we sort of made demos and the demos turned into, we sent them down to the studio, a guy called James Fazy. He turned them into something that sounded pretty good, you know, and then we just send them out, stems. And uh, a friend of mine, Ross Alfin and and my new I know, Ross, the
2: photographer.
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Ross, you know, he is, is, can, can be very persuasive, you know, the next thing I knew, you know, Billy Gibbons wanted to do something and um, Slash wanted to do something. And I'm not sure these people really wanted to do something or Ross forced them.
2: No. <laughs> I, I? no. I find that hard to believe. <laughs> uh, the thing is, actually, because going back through all of your albums, um, Ian, which has been an absolute joy, because so you actually always have pretty stellar lineups. You just don't have a different stellar lineup on every song. No, that's true.
3: <laughs> I, looking yeah. back, yeah, I, I I slowly realised, yeah, I have, I've played with some great people. I mean, it's uh, quite embarrassing sometimes. I always remember sitting in the toilet when, uh, oh, what's his name? The sax, alto sax player. Xambon? Yeah. He was doing a solo. I was producing. I was sitting on the toilet crying. <laughs> no! Are we talking about
2: All-American Alien Boy here?
3: Yeah, yeah yeah i think it was uh, uh it might
1: have been you did Really did me And one of those you know like... oh but hang on just I, I, we're getting off of this new album but you really did me now you've mentioned it which has got i think it's got freddie mercury and, and roger yeah. taylor and brian all, all singing backing vocals on it and and, and of course it's it's incredible sambon sax solo but what a song that is ian what a song and if anyone has never heard uh you you have to go and and listen to you. you 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 nearly did me in it's it does me in every time i hear
2: it oh thanks That's... but actually but that whole album i mean everything i mean the whole lineup i mean uh, and and yeah yeah probably yeah. probably the oh. only rock album ever done by a i believe he was then pretty much unknown wasn't he jacko pastorius
3: yeah well jacko was 21 Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and um how did you find him? He had, he had this big ego, but he had a, it was healthy. It was great, you know what I mean. It was before he went to LA, and everybody told him how wonderful he was. You know, because uh, his playing is so restrained, it's amazing. Yeah, you know, he was he, he was staying at Bobby Columbia's. who was just across the river from us, and um, he got fed up because Bobby was kind of like auditioning him in front of all these people. And he just—he uh, was a Stones fan, you know. And it was like he—he he, wound up living with us for a month, and we went down Electric Lady, and you know, the rest is sort of forty-five years ago, or <laughs> whatever.
1: <laughs> but but catching up with what guy guy was saying about playing with uh, so many great musicians, uh, this this idea of you and a fantastic guitar player, you know, whether it's Mick—it's it's, been—it's always been there, hasn't it? Whether it's Mick Ralphs or whether it's Rono or whether it's All yeah. Slick. Uh, and then on this album, the album opens up with with, with Slash, you know, and yeah. then we've got oh. Jeff Beck on the second track. And there's there's, there's uh, I mean, the Ringo Mike Campbell, Mark, Ringo. Mike Campbell what? is fantastic on it. And Ringo, I mean, listen, Better Roses. I just want to focus in on Better Roses. That's which is out now, yeah. um, and the lyrics I love. They they are so Ian Hunter. They're about a rock and roll place they're about the life of the rock and roller which you've written about so many times i mean you're an incredible diarist of this genre does the bed of roses exist as a club have i just missed this somehow
3: it was based on the star club hamburg right Uh, but Uh. we'd also played you know a few other places too so um there was another couple of verses i pulled out because all these guys wound up in jail or something and the guys that run the clubs, but the clubs were amazing, especially the star club. You know, you didn't go to bed for three days and uh, I wasn't doing operas or anything. It was just so exciting, you know, right bang in the middle of paulo you know, it was all, you know, every genre known to mankind in the street, you know, yeah. And uh, Ringo bit up What Andy and I were downstairs, and I'm thinking, this is a head noddy, you know, it's around one hundred seventeen. And so we sent it to Ringo, and it was like, well, if I like it, I'll do it. If I don't like it, I won't. And about four or five days later, it came back, and it was perfect. You know, it's the same with Mike Campbell. Absolutely. Brilliant. Did you brilliant.
2: did you tell Ringo it was about the Star Club?
3: <laughs> no, I didn't. But but, but <laughs> yeah, was... you know, I, I the lyrics there. You know, if you, I figure put yeah. lyrics with it, put it like that. Who's Roy? You mentioned someone called Roy. Roy in the lyric is that right yeah roy young That's roy funny. young was a keyboard player and a singer back when i you know i think it was it wasn't ready steady go it was one of those six five special i think it was oh, wow. sound like little richard and little richard was my idol you know him and jerry lee and uh roy could do it and i said how do you do that and he said well you know if you're singing something in c do it in f instead <laughs> and <laughs> you know take it off and an it up and he said i found that out quite by accident so roy was at the star club and um roy was resident pianist there and the beatles played there twice when roy was a resident pianist right. And mccartney's asked him to join the beatles and he didn't because uh horse fascia had bought him a cadillac car and he was kind of like the king of the star club you know he could get up and play with anybody yeah uh, uh I just turned it down. And uh, I said to him later on when he was living in Canada, how do you feel about turning down the Beatles? He said, it's great. You know, I get up every morning, I go in the bathroom, bang my head against the wall once. <laughs> <laughs> That's a beautiful line you've put in there then.
1: Roy stays forever young. You, you sing in one chorus, don't you? Wow. Which is absolutely. Be- and there's another track on the album, which is, which is also about rock and roll, you know? And it's this is what I'm here for. And I just love the energy in that, you know. It's. I think you said you say something like, I I, I nearly I gave up when I was thirty
3: or something. I'd yeah
1: yeah. <laughs> well, what people, was the, what, What's the lyric uh, again?
3: Well, you know, I'm a journalist. Uh, you know, I was I was 29 when I joined Mott, You know, so he was supposed to be 18. You know. Yeah. So, Ron um, I said, take seven years off and just say it doesn't count because you're, you're you're in hospital. <laughs> Typical. <one. laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, they thought I was too old for it then, and here I am, you know, like fifty odd years later. Because, guy, I mean, that lyric, you know, which is, I think,
1: we all want to live by. This is what I'm here for. This is what I'm here for, you know. Yeah. And you're, you're you know, if you don't mind me just mentioning your age, Ian, you know, 83. Yeah. Th- this, and you, you're making music that is so fresh and so amazing, and saying, this is what I'm here for. You know? And, and uh, I think it's a great anthem for all of us.
2: But this is, cause this is something that runs through your all your work, all the way back through Martin. Everything is—is this—is songs about music? I well, it? that's
3: yeah. what I do. You know, what I mean? yeah. It's—I earlier I like to do factory stuff and all that because I've been in factories. But you really write about your surroundings, don't you? Mm-hmm. What you're aware of at the time, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean Saturday
3: gigs guy.
1: I mean, it's got one of oh, the greatest God. lines in yeah. in any a, 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 any song, which is I was ready to quit but then I went to Croydon (laughs) I mean, and that is so anthemic.
3: When you get to that, Ian. Fairfield Hall, right? Fairfield Hall. Used to be the Greyhound. You played the pub, the Greyhound, which was a big pub. I mean, it held about 500 people. And when you filled that to overflowing, you went across the road, you know, to the Fairfield Hall. And that was the big deal. And uh, they all came with us and we, that was the longest reception Mott ever got. They, they clapped for 10 minutes. And we just stood there listening to it. It was a big deal yeah. going across the road in Croydon, you know, from the grey to the Fairfield, yeah.
2: But you're right, but there is something, because we played the Fairfield Halls, Gary and I, together This yeah. was for, last year. And it was the first time I'd ever played it. And there is something, even the Fairfield Hall Croydon, there's something about it. It fits into the mythology along with Madison Square Gardens and the Budokan. There's something about Fairfield Hall. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is.
3: Neither do I. Was. But we, yeah. uh, when Mott went to the Eurus the Theatre in New York and did the week in the Eurus Theatre in New York, that's why we did it because we walked in there and it just looked like the Fairfield Hall. And we figured, you know, well, we do that, we can do this.
1: Yeah. And of course, it was famous. Bowie did a famous shows there. And I think Pete Floyd, didn't they? The guy, have I got that wrong? Did Floyd actually play? I am not like everyone. The,
2: everyone. Yeah, yeah. everyone. Everyone, I, t- I remember in Elton John's diaries, he talks about like going to see the Who there and going to see, you know, he it's where he's going, even though it seems a long way out of the way for him.
3: i gonna dig, you know, <laughs> like the Lyceum, you know, like yeah,
2: that- the Lyceum, yeah, Come yeah. On. <laughs> but
1: go- going back to this new album, you we mentioned Ringo, whose drumming sounds so full of life and it is yeah, so Ringo, yeah. and it's brilliant just to have him still playing and still there. But then, uh, you've got Taylor Hawkins, is, is that's got to be. I have to say, I hate to say this again, but is this Taylor's last recording?
3: I don't know, but uh, he he was going to do it all. He was very ambitious about both albums and uh, he was going to do it all. He did seven in the end. He did three on the first one and four on the second. And then the COVID started easing off. So the foo's started going out again, you know, so it got kind of got phased out, but that was a total shock. I mean, that was a horrible, a yeah. great guy. You know, I just, Right out of the blue. That hits everybody, obviously. Yeah, Yeah, that really did.
1: Yeah. Sorry, I'm confused because we got sent Defiance
3: Part 1. And when is Part 2 coming out? What is... I don't know. It's about 70% done, you know. And Andy's on the road with Malloncamp till July, I think. So we'll probably finish it in July. And it will come out, I don't know, late this year or early next year. I just like the philosophy behind you... To say, you know,
1: there's none of that, oh, this is might might be my last album bullshit. No, you bring out an album saying Defiance well, Part yeah. One. Part yeah. <laughs> <Yeah.
3: laughs> one. No, you're exactly right, yeah. That's exactly what it meant. You know, it's like yeah. a big F you to people who you know, talk about your age and all the rest of it, you know. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Is, is there's a track on there, it's when I was listening to one of the songs, it sounded like it might be about your dad. And I know you'd written a song before, Ships, which sounded like it was about your dad. But about your dad, is, am I thinking about? Is it no hard feelings? No, it's not. Yeah, it is. No hard feelings. Is that about your father?
3: Yeah, yeah. Got the barrel I got. I got the. Uh, the what was it? Um, what's the gig in Glasgow? Barrowlands. Barrowland. I got the Barrowlands in the lyric. I really wanted to do that. I love that gig. Yeah. Sprung. It's a sprung floor, isn't it? That's why everyone goes mental there. It's. I've always wanted to play there, and we finally got there with Mark seventy-four. You know, a couple of years back, and uh, yeah, that was a buzz. That was a total buzz because it's only like fifteen miles from where I lived when I was a kid. Yeah. Oh, right. And that's what you said. That's right.
2: Yeah, because yeah, because you grew up Scotland. You're you're from Oswestry, right? And then well, I Scotland was are
3: three months, then Hitler found out, and we had to move north. You know, <laughs> <and> then... <laughs> I always We lived in a place called Hamilton, and, uh, which is about fifteen miles from Glasgow. My mum worked in Glasgow, and I stayed with an aunt because my aunt would have gone into munitions, and that was the deal. My mum had a good education, so she went and worked for Boots, the chemist, while the war was on. You know, and I stayed with my aunt in Hamilton, fifteen miles away. And my dad was in the army. You know.
2: And ha- how long were you in Scotland? Uh, basically, all I'm into is why don't you sound Scottish?
3: <laughs> I was six when we left. Yeah, I don't. There you go. I don't. That's know, why. That, That's oh, why. Yeah, I can do it. I can do it. I can sort of, you know, I can do the Gaelic. <laughs> but what? It, what is? What was your connection
1: with your dad that leaves you? You know, all these years later, still. I just want to say, guy. Did you know Barry Manilow had a hit? I know. I was
2: I, I was. I was going to. Th- I was fuck, waiting for the moment to throw fuck. this in. How, what was that like? Because that was the question I wanted to ask. What's it like when Barry Manilow
3: covers your song? It's strange because um, what it was was Clive Davis because Clive would always. Of course, it was. Yeah. You no, know, if he. Uh, if he liked a song, he would. When the artist came in, he would just play it in the background. And and uh, I think I think his his father had just died, and it, he took to it, you know. But, but he's a kind of an arranger type guy, so he would do it, and you know, he modulated it here and there. And I was kind of like a nonplussed when I heard it. it was so different the way he approached it, you know. I know it would be fashionable to slag him off and all that, but he's really good in his own way at what he does, you know.
2: Yeah, it's it really good. It's one of those things. At the time, it's it's like it's like I mean, even how we used to be about ABRA, isn't it? When you look back, you just you know, quality is quality, in it. You know? yeah, it went top
3: ten. It went top ten in America, didn't it? It was huge. Yeah, yeah, it went. It got to ten, I think it was. Yeah.
1: But but what is it about your dad that still leaves you writing about him all these years later? What was that relationship, and how come it's still so strong within you?
3: Well, you know, it's it's after the war. You know, they came back from a war and were confronted by Elvis. You know what I mean? It was, my dad was a cop as well. And he wound up in MI5. um, So we were total opposites, you know. I was out of there when I was 16. Uh, But I respected him and admired him, you know, he was just a different uh, type of person altogether.
2: And so talk, talk, if we're gonna go back that far. So what was your moment? Was it, you said was confronted by Elvis? Was it like you heard Elvis on the radio
3: or? Well, it was Luxembourg, wasn't it? Uh, Jeremy yeah, B Lewis so and yeah. Little Richard, yeah, I mean that, that's what everybody was doing, and it was infuriating because it would always go quiet, you know, when the in the best bit of the song, you know, that locks <laughs> them out, you know. And uh, yeah, I think that's what a lot of people were doing, and to me, it was like, oh, well, this is what I'm here for. I was a fan. I never thought I'd actually be in the business. i you know, wasn't like I was a musician or anything. That just sort of came along slowly. But I was a fan. Yeah. I saw Sam Cooke, I saw Buddy Alley, I saw Little Richard, I saw wow. Joe Cooke, yeah. yeah I- it's
2: interesting, I just wanted to point out one little thing, I'm really sorry to interrupt, because I noticed you said that, because you've always had a real strong association with guitarists, Either you know, like you had Mick, you had Rono, you had all sorts, but because um, you mentioned Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis, because what is interesting is, is there's always really strong piano in your work. You see, that seems to be a very important thing to you.
3: Well, what what happens is if you write on your own, your left hand becomes the drums. Uh, You're right. Yeah, and and I do write. Uh, all that album was written on piano, apart from two tracks, I think. And uh, yeah, my left hand is very percussive. You know, in fact, it hurts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess that's why they're sound piano based. You know, did did
1: you, you start? Did you did you study as a pianist? Because your your chops are really good on piano, obviously.
3: No, they're not. <laughs> No. <laughs> but your
1: songwriting chops are definitely up there but did, did you study at all or did you just find it yourself was there a piano in the house
3: it's a, i got a, a v5 you know a, was well, it a low core V five or a rolling i've got a keyboard anyway that uh i like it because you can change keys so you can stay and see wherever you are you know you could be <laughs> tuning it <maybe. laughs>
2: i think i think Gary went back in the day because it was guitar originally wasn't it because you st- you won a talent competition at butlins
3: right yeah, that was uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those were the days, eh? Oh yeah, yeah, the biggest legal brothel in Britain at the time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was fun.
1: So, when yeah. it go, they, they talk us through this. You become a guitar player. Yeah. You you want to be a rock and roll star. I'm taking it Ian, at some point, and, yeah. and you try and form a band. Is it the Apex Group?
3: I joined them on with them. Yeah, um, uh, I'd met the two of them at Botlands. And they, we won this talent competition, and then you got- Were you all
2: on holiday? I'm sorry, you are just all on holiday. You're went, with your families uh, on holiday, at Butlins.
3: Yeah. And right. we won it. And the- Not red coats. The blue coats and the red coat, yeah. coats, yeah. be avoided it. at all times. And um, <laughs> we go back at the end of the season because we win, and it's like Miss Titbits, Miss Rivalli and all that. So it was an interesting <laughs> week there. And then everybody got flu. And we couldn't tell anybody because that would ruin Butlin's name, you know. Uh... So sat there for a week. Yeah. And then I went to Northampton and joined these two guys. And they were in this band called The Apex. And uh a guy called Colin York was a singer, good looking guy, good singer. And he became Dane Hunter later and uh, didn't do the right sort of things, you know. So he kind of dis- he- he wound up in uh, Texas doing country and western stuff. And he died a while back. Uh, but then I, I went to London, you know, and uh, piddled about in London. Wound up at Francis Day and Hunter, which was publishing.
2: Oh, yeah, that's right. I mean, really venerable old old publisher, weren't they?
3: Yeah, they well, I co- them. They were nice. Me and Roger from Deep Purple, he was there as well. That's,
2: that's
3: bizarre.
2: About- uh, what, uh, yeah. Were you staff songwriters or were you just transcribing? I mean, uh, what were yeah, you doing? 15
3: quid a week. Yeah. Staff. What were you writing? What are you writing for them? I wrote Season Song for Nicole Williams. And uh, I did another one. I forget what it was, but Dave Berry covered it.
1: Nicole Williams, the actor. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, well,
3: well. I'd love to hear that. And yeah. The, the guy that signed me was the guy. Um, what happened was, um, I was in the factory and I wanted to get out of the factory, and so they did the Nicole Williams song, and it cost a lot of money, but they forgot to ask me for permission. So they had me in, and I said, "Well." I would like to get out of the factory, please. And they'd already spent £400, which was a lot of money, on Nicole Williams and the season song. And so I said, well, you know, give me three months' wages so I don't have to go in the factory all summer. And that turned into, like, 15 months, I think. And I joined after that. Fantastic. What was, if
2: you don't mind me asking, what was the factory?
3: Oh, it was halfway up the Osden Road. I forget what it was called. Me and Miller Anderson, the blues player, Oh, yeah, we yeah, yeah, both, yeah, 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 yeah. Because were you in the scenery with him? It was around about that time. Yeah, Miller. Me and Miller worked together for a while. A great guitar player, and uh, but he went with Keith Hartley, so I was left still in the factory. And then Bill Farley rings me up from Regent Sound, and Regent Sound was kind of like, you know, Sun Records. It's that little four track in Denmark Street, or it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill Farley ran me up and he said, There's a load of hairy blokes down here auditioning and they can't find anybody they want. Would you like to come down? Because I'd been doing demos in his studio and uh, Bill was a Dalston boy, you know, looked both ways before he said anything. And uh, <laughs> I went down there and there was all these hairy guys and uh, that was the audition for Mark. So who was that? Yeah, who was that? Who was in that room originally? Mick Rouse was there, Pete but they were all there and guy stevens you know and oh, the, that's right wasn't the band called the silence or something like that yeah yeah they came up from hereford and i wore a corduroy two-piece with sandals and i was a bit overweight so they were they weren't over enthused about it but guy guy for some reason felt it was uh, not a bad idea and he rang me about a week later he said look you look awful could you please come down and i want to buy you some clothes And i was like whoa i'm in you know like. And he spent hundred quid on clothes in some place. Blimey! The, uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of money. And so and this I, is this is sorry. The,
1: the, this is sort of nineteen sixty nine Ian. I mean, what's the scene? Yeah. What's happening in London? What's what what are people into?
3: Is it is it Middle Earth? Is that what was happening? I don't know because I couldn't afford it. I was living in the Archway, you know. I, I, I <laughs> what was going on <laughs> in the middle of London, you know. But what was the because uh,
2: because hit- guys. Guy Stevens, up to he was a kind of a scenester, wasn't he? He was who people went to to like put their set lists together, yeah. and he turned you onto yeah. new records, and that was his thing. Because didn't what? he famous he. I, I, There's a great quote from him once when someone said, "What attracted you to looking after Mott the Hoople?" He said, "They got the fucking Hammond up the stairs." Yes,
3: yes, <laughs> that's absolutely true. I don't, I don't give a shit. You know, you're in. And, uh, yeah, Mick <laughs> Wells. Mike Wells went down there and oh, said, "I, I love an answer, you know. So Mick really got that, got that started, you know, they, yeah. just in they were living in Hereford, uh, just another band, you know, and Mick Ralph's pretty ambitious at that time. He went down and sat in Guy's office and, and the Island Records was a big thing, you know, I mean, it was the, the main place to be. Yeah. Uh, Guy got us in there, you know, Guy was loony. I mean, that's how we got in.
2: He was a, a nut job, wasn't he? he? He was just like, kind of. Yeah, he saw stuff just, stuff. When, when you When you could get the lid on the bottle. Then, then it would be amazing. But then half the time the lid was off and it was just
3: yeah. kind of... I love, I love the guy. I still do, but... Um, mm. Who else yeah, did he produce? I, I doubt anybody he else produced,
1: would have us. He produced The Clash in the end, didn't he? Who else did he produce, Guy? Did, did,
2: did, well, he... he wasn't really a producer. It was basically... I mean, Mott was... That was... You were his thing, weren't you? And then it was... I mean, yeah. I think The Clash, it was basically Joe and Mick just went around pubs in North London until they found him because they really wanted Guy Stevens oh, no, to no, well, Mick,
3: Mick followed. Isn't it? Mick followed Mott. Yeah. Was- oh,
2: no, I know that. Yeah. No, but what I mean is back in... We're the, I'm, I'm flash-forwarding to 79 there, but I, no, I know. Oh, but, I mean, Mick... Yeah, yeah. You know, you're an absolute... Um, what's funny, actually, is been listening to a lot of the... Um, uh, listening to Mott again, um, it, it is seeing, actually, how much influence there always was with Mick's writing from you.
3: It was always there. I love yeah. working with Mick. You know. What are you going to do? You know, I couldn't sing his songs. Yeah. But, uh <laughs> He'd be writing these bluesy songs, you know, Can't get Enough of Your Love, which was, like, worldwide, you know. And Paul Rogers came along, and that was it. Oh, oh Mick oh, so, yeah, yeah. Oh, was he,
2: was he presenting those songs to you?
3: Yeah. Ah, oh, Yeah, we had Ready for Love, you know. Uh, Do you know, I always remember wow. when you,
2: when you, uh, one of your Reformation tours, I remember seeing you at the, at the Hammersmith Apollo. When, you know, I was there. I went too, yeah. Yeah, you were there, yeah. And I just always remember thinking, because I, I knew Mick quite well, because he used to be really good friends with David Gilmore. I, well, I love right. it and hello, yeah, yeah. But um, but I always thought he he was the most perfect, definitive Les Paul Marshall sound mm-hmm. I ever heard. He was, he was that was it. Well, that is that's it it.
1: A, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Because certainly <laughs> Rono was definitely my favourite.
2: Marshall. No, and... that's your favorite sound, but I'm talking about the definitive Les Paul Marshall sound. Yeah, well, that's, another <coughs> that's another, another conversation. That's
3: another conversation. Ralph was the co-writer. Ralph, Ralph wrote great songs, you know. Mick was a great arranger. That was the difference between the yeah. two of them. Yeah. <coughs> they were both great guitar players, but Mick was a songwriter and and I, I'm, I'm actually an arranger. He had a lot to do with the Mott stuff in the studio and with Bill Price. And um, yeah.
1: If you listen back to that first Mott album, and... and- You can even hear it now in what you do. Dylan seems to be a massive influence on you. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. What what was your Dylan? Were you a total Dylan head at that point when you joined Mott?
3: Well, I didn't, I didn't quite know what he was talking about, but he was just, just right. And also, you know, I, I didn't really ever sung. I was a bass player and, um, what, 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 what? I just used him as a, I'd been playing bass for a long time, you know, when we were in Hamburg and all them kind of things. I, I didn't know that. Was, uh, yeah. in, the, in, in, in the shriek Shriekers? Yeah, in the Shriekers as well, yeah, I was a bass player. Because what happened was I was, oh, I think Freddie, Fing- I think I was playing g- guitar and singing and then Freddie Fingers Lee came along and so I went over onto bass and let Freddie do the singing, you know.
2: Interesting. Let him, let him do the safe jobs. <laughs> well, no, playing play. bass and singing is tricky, right? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. tricky. It's not like playing guitar and singing.
3: Well, I didn't play Not Fred did the singing, and I went over on bass, yeah. and I went up and down the, the thickest string until I found out what the other three were for, you know. And <laughs> gradually, in Germany, all those clubs you're playing seven hours a night, you, you learn, you know. And by yeah. the end of that, it was like, yeah, I think I could. I might have a chance here, you know, but I thought it was going to be bass. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that.
2: That's stamps.com, code program.
1: This episode of Rock On Tours is sponsored by AG1,
2: the daily nutrition supplement. AG1 is a comprehensive and convenient blend of over 70 vitamins, minerals and other vital ingredients like gut-friendly bacteria, antioxidants and much more. Just one scoop of AG1 daily has all the nutrients you need to support your mental performance, energy levels, heart health and immune system. To be honest, it's pretty vital stuff for us because when you've got a life on the road and you're short of time or you're too busy to plan and prepare healthy meals or you're getting your podcast together, you're being shouted at and it's just a nightmare, AG1 gives me all the good stuff and helps keep my energy levels where I need, ready for showtime or doing the podcast and with a nice vanilla taste. It keeps me focused, feeling good, feeling healthy with its daily dose of vitamin C
1: and zinc. And it's so easy to use. Just one scoop a day gives me over 70 carefully selected ingredients.
2: Simple. Trusted by Olympians, F1 drivers and the rock So if you want to replace your multivitamin and more, start with AG1. Try AG1 and a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first subscription. Go to drinkag1.com slash rockonteurs. That's
1: drinkag1.com slash rockonteurs. Check it out. Those first... Before you finally make the All The Young Dudes album and that single happens, was there a feeling that you were always treading water uh, with those those records and that you're never quite getting yourself where you wanted to be? Or was was there a moment when that did happen and then it's... I'm talking about when you finally to make that announcement in 72 that it's all going to come to an end
3: it was all it was all natural I mean the beginning of Mar- the way they played the spirit of them the albums they did and the way it finished it was all natural nothing was planned whatsoever I mean the management situation was chaotic it's not like now where everything's set in stone you know planned and everything we were just like I mean Roxy were planned they had good managers you know I mean we had a guy for a manager. <laughs> It, we were managing guy most of the time,
1: you know. Yeah,
2: yeah, 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 yeah. Well, because you talk about managing a lot in your book, in, in you know, Diary of a Rock and Roll so You The way you explain them as these sort of hustlers and kind of like bands like horses. Yeah, so, you know. Which, by the way, can I just say one? It's one of my. I've I've always remembered. Um, when I read that book as a as a kid, there's one line that was stuck with. There's this great thing because you're talking about going to America and people hadn't gone to America, no. right? That's right. And this is great thing. You go, yeah, and you get on the plane. It's fantastic. Your seat goes back and you can watch a movie. Yeah,
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: which is like the most glamorous thing. But it's it's a brilliant
1: book, isn't it? Because it it takes oh, what fantastic. we see as being extremely glamorous
3: and it just oh, yeah. turns it into a job. Yeah, yeah. You that's know. what it's drawing, really. I mean, you know, gigs are great, but, you know, getting to them and all that, you know as well as I do, I mean, it's, it can get a little tedious after a while.
2: Yeah. Well, that's what what Joe Perry said, wasn't it, to us the other week? He he said, uh, you're not being paid for the gigs, you're being paid for the travel. <laughs> yeah, he's right. Yeah,
3: yeah. 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 It, and it doesn't get any easier, you know. kind of gets a little stupider. So
1: so what was the point? <laughs> that, that, there was a point, wasn't there, I think, of, when you were about to sort of give it all up and you got a you got some sort of a call from Bowie. I don't know how did that all happen, Ian?
3: Um, Pete we decided we we finished up in a in a gas tank in Switzerland playing some club, you know, metal wonderful sound and we uh, <laughs> yeah, but... yeah, we decided to split up and we get back to the uh, I don't know wherever we got back to in England and Pete went, Pete heard Bowie was auditioning for a bass player. So Pete ran up for the bass gig. And then David said, you know, we you in Mott. And he said, no, no, we finished. And then they got all like uh, a little crusadey about Mott. You know, I didn't know he knew us, um, but he was, uh, no, no, you can't do that. And all the rest of it. And then Pete rang us and said, like, this bloke wants to play his songs and stuff. And he's really good. Pete loved Bowie. He was a big Bowie fan. Because at that point, he'd only done
1: Man, I think Man Who Sold the World was... Uh... It, it, Hunky Dory maybe had come out or not? No,
3: I think only. The, I think it, it was in between the first single, Man yeah, was the first single and the first album. I think that's when we 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 were slotted in for about a year. It went because because he offered you a
2: song that was to be turned on Ziggy, right, which you turned yeah. down. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I don't, it nah, that's not it. at
3: the time. He was he was not a big you know yeah. how you know him now. He was he was on the on the way up you know, and he'd been in loads of bands as well you know.
1: Yeah, so, so go just, on, carry on.
3: Like, yeah, come I'm on. I to another guy giving you songs you know. Suffridge had said he was okay you know, but I mean we had okay stuff. We knew, see the radio. We would had a couple of singles that stiffed, so the radio was not going to play us unless it was something special. And we always thought it'd be like, uh, you really got me, the kinks, something like that. We thought that's what we'd get. And then all of a sudden we get all the young dudes. And uh, I heard it. Uh, he's sitting on the floor there playing it. And it's like, why are you giving this away? You know, this is ridiculous. And I knew I could sing it too, you know, because I'm not that wide as a singer. And I know I could do it. And it was just two nights uh, and that was it, you know. Okay, where, where were you when he was sitting on the floor?
1: I want to know what he looked like and what
2: he was wearing. Yeah. <laughs> was he cross? Was he cross-legged? How was he sitting?
3: Ah. <laughs> he used to do a lot on the floor. I remember in New York, he'd have keyboards on the floor. Yeah, he used to. He seemed to like the floor. Um, I think we were in a publishing place where De Vries was uh, kind of like an apprentice. You know, I think De Vries was working there, and that's where we all went. And, so it was in an office somewhere on Regent Street, I think.
2: So, but did he write it on the spot or? No, no, no. Did, did he just have it there?
3: Yeah, because that, be, that would be too much. Rono told me he'd done it, they'd done it, and they'd done it in C. We took it up to D, um, and he'd done it using alto, a lot of alto, where on with us he used a lot of Fally, uh, you know, the organ, he used a lot of that. And then Mick added that amazing intro, um, you know, and I, and he was bored with the end of it. It kept going round and going round. He said, one of the boys is a single. And we all looked at him like he was an idiot. They're like, no, no, no. Well, the end's boring. It keeps going round and round. So I did a little chat on the end. And, where, and that was the difference. Between where did that it... chat come from? It came from the rainbow. We used to have a heckless 10 seconds. So, you know, people at the back could shout, fuck off, you're lousy and all the rest of it. You know. <laughs> We had his <laughs> mates to bring him down and he'd come down the front and I would hem- empty a bottle of beer on him. Wouldn't go down too well these days. But back then, <laughs> I remember that, <laughs> night, that night at four in the morning, we came out and he was the only guy still outside waiting for the band. <laughs> was, he, was he wearing glasses? Was he the boy in the glasses? i can't remember Yeah, because that's that. what you say is it? hey you you with the glasses you know? yeah well that was just a blinder but he did i remember him coming down it was because i went over stage right and i did that you know and of course everybody enjoyed that and then we had this party backstage and we didn't finish before and i go outside just one guy there and i think he's gonna kill me you know but he was great <laughs> you know we give him autographs and all that and he was fine wow did he ever <laughs> know it was him in the song <laughs> i have no idea well, that was it but who came up with that guitar riff?
1: Was it Mick Ralphs then?
3: Yeah, one of the best ever.
2: Unbelievable! It's one of the best ever. Because it's it's also because it's so it, the only other, the only other person who could have come up with that is Rono. Yeah. So, but it's because it's because Rono was involved in the production of, of all the Young Dudes, wasn't he, as well? Um, or was he not? Uh, not so much. Oh, okay, uh, I thought he was. He
3: was. He did a bit on the Dudes album. He did a, a, a gospel right. arrangement on one of them. But uh, no, it was David. And uh we don't know where that stuff's gone, you know. I'd have liked a thicker mix. But Dave, you know, it was the radio in those days. It was what sounded good on the radio. So you yeah. the thinner sort of sound. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't Yeah, no, it's true. I know what you mean about yeah. the way. Yeah, but it's made but the the
2: thing thing's like that response vocal is like no one else could do that. That's that's just so you. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think Rono did the strings on Sea Diver. That's what I think. But going back to the, what makes all the young dudes so special and was so special for, for, for me and Guy growing up as kids was yeah. the fact that it was talking about kids we knew. It was talking about Top of the Pops. It was talking about T-Rex. You know, it, it, it was, it, you know, Wendy... And Freddie, who, you know, I, I've since met Wendy Kirby, who it was about. And Freddie Baretti was obviously Freddie. Did you know any of those kids at the time? Or were they just,
3: just did I Bowie explain? A couple of times. I went to Haddon Hall a couple of times. It wasn't my scene, you know. But I met Fred, yeah. I mean, We used to drop him off at Hampstead Heath, you know. <laughs> he designed Bowie's clothes, didn't he, Freddie? He was one of the, he was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I think David wanted him to be a rock star, you know. I think that was the plan. I'm not sure. Yeah, it was, because he wrote Ziggy Stardust originally for Freddie Barretti, didn't he? Oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah, Moonace Daydream. I used to hang out with Angie. Angie was more my cup of tea. She was a lot of fun. We used to get, you know, we used to have a few wines and stuff like that. And my wife used to hang out with Angie, you know, that was more normal. Angie was uh, outrageous, but she was normal. You know, Dave was, he always had that thing. He was like, it's so ambitious. Very generous with his time and everything, but so ambitious, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah. But Ian, it's not just that song, and it's not just the lyrics. It's also the way you sang it. That voice exactly. of yours, exactly. you know, that which is a very English voice, and with such kind of decadent passion. Uh, and I still put that record on now. I mean, you can, can't you, Guy? You put it on, you and yeah, yep. it's my des- It's a desert island disc one for me, and my, my You know, I can feel the hair stand up on my arms still. Uh, it's forever. Is the anthem of my youth.
3: It and It's still. You know, it's still around. It's still around. That's something for the song. You know, like 50 years. Where did you first meet Rono? Because I did hear you. You'd
1: previously bumped into him, hadn't you? At the Flamingo Club. Is that right? Is that true?
3: Isn't there an on the stairs thing, passing on the stairs? Yeah, Miller, Miller Anderson was with me at the time, you know, and um, Miller said, This is Mick Ronson, you know. I mean, he was with a religious cult band at the time, the voice, Mick was. Yeah. Oh. And it got a bit simple, a mix, you know, a northern lad. Well, it was three amps and a van, you know it? <laughs> And when they started, they started trying to, you know, separate him from, I think Susie it was, uh, or whoever he was. That, This is way back. And uh, he he left. And I think they moved to like, I don't know, South America or something. It was a cult. But the guy, he got free gear, you know, and then you represented the cult. They were called the boys. And then uh, I never saw him again until, um, you know, with Bowie. And I kind of, we got on great. And when he left, you know, when David decided that was it. It just seemed a natural idea, you know, to play with him, you know, because I knew how good he was. Mott is still
2: going at this point, right? I mean, Mott have still got
3: some Yeah, Mott's going. It. Bender's <laughs> in the band, Luther Grosvenor, who used to walk into this fantastic, you know, the great Ariel Bender thing. The yeah. show was great. I mean, the show went up 20%. Um, musically, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't work with Luther somehow, like I worked with Mick, uh, but once Luther, I, Luther
1: is Ariel Bender, right? Luther is Ariel Bender.
3: Yeah. The, the great Ariel Bender. Yeah, yeah. Still one of the great names, isn't it? Yeah. Did,
1: who came, did, <laughs> you yeah. know who came,
3: up, who came up with the name Ariel Bender, uh, Ian? It was a girl, a girl singer now then. You've got me, she's not with the Oh, right. Lindsay DePaul. Yeah, that was it, Lindsay. Because we were in oh. Germany and uh, we were fed up. And, I another street, and there was a horse's trough down the bottom of the street, and Ralpher just bent every car aerial in the entire street with frustration from this stupid gig we were doing, and he then put his head in the horse's trough at the bottom of the street, you know. <laughs> He's looking at this, and she, she turned around to me, and she said, aerial bender. I was like, yes, I'll, I'll hold that. You know how you do if you write some. Yeah. I'll hold that name, you know. And then I said to Luther, do you want to join Martin? He said, yeah, yeah, why not? Uh, we were in a Hampstead pub, uh, and I, I said, "I love your name, Luther Grosvenor. What a great name!" And he said, "Yeah." I said, I said, "We want to change it. We want to call you Ariel Bender." And he went, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." It was told, 100%. You know, he just did this complete turn from a serious guitar player into the great Ariel Bender. You know, oh,
1: that's fantastic. Because now you're in your pomp, aren't you? Really? I mean, because that's what I think surprised. Everybody, because we all went. Oh, all the young dudes, you know, that's fantastic. But it's written by Bowie, you know. What else have they got? But you, you, you easily surpass it. You come up, you know, all the way from Memphis, honolulu, boogie, roll away the stone. I mean, this, this, these were like great moments in our in our lives, weren't they, Guy? They're,
2: well there's things like for instance that i mean gonna bring your records yeah we'll do it's always gonna be in my head forever yeah you know those all those little, little they were fantastic snippets <laughs> who are those bv girls a marionette i ain't done yet that, that whole thing i it's just it, it just stays with you forever Who are those women who did that's all the, the bvs
1: one.
3: on all those records then Ian. thunder thighs thunder thighs that's it yeah, yeah, yes. yeah they were great girls really nice i think I don't, I don't know where we got them from. I think it might have been Roxy. I'm not sure. Mm.
1: Where are they? Oh. Are they still around?
2: I, I can't know. imagine Brian being happy with the group being called Thunderthigh.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they're still around. I think some one of them died. Uh, but you're going back a long, long way now. My memory's not that great. Uh, maybe
2: it's doing pretty well so far, mate. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, did we mentioned your connection
1: with uh, with freddie and and roger taylor and stuff but but they because they actually supported you didn't they were you the sort of did you know who you had supporting you could you tell that it was good how good it was going to they were going to turn out
3: i used to have a bath before we went on so i'd only get to the gig like (laughs) for their last two songs and i always felt a little guilty because they would go what do you think what do you think and i was like and I was like, yeah, yeah. I think, I think, but I heard, keep yourself alive and liar every night. You know that that was the last two songs. And they were like, what do you think? And all the rest of us, and I'm like, yeah, you know. But in truth, I didn't know if they were going to make it any more than anybody else did, except the fans. You know, they seem to have an extraordinary fan power. You know, I mean, they only went once, and you were there the second. You know, the place was full the second time. Yeah. And Fred was gorgeous. You know, I, I lo- They were lovely people to be with. All of them yeah well of course
2: gonna, they then turn up on your solo album don't
3: they well you know you do a lot of touring we toured in the states with them and and it's it, it gets boring and it's really nice if the support band's kind of like you you lot you know i mean i think they, yeah. they were very like us only a little more intelligent and a little more focused you know
1: i, I, we, don't, sp- <laughs> I don't think they had that Bo, bow rap at that point did they i'm sure they didn't
3: i don't know it's, it's, I, we just got on with them instinctively straight away. I mean, and they're bright people for a start, you know, brighter than we were. <laughs> they had it planned, you know, they knew we, what they were going to do. Yeah. We
1: think Brian's guitar style, you know, it's not a million miles away from Mick Ralph's and from, from what, uh, yeah. Mick Ronson and, you know, there was definitely a, a very melodic guitar style that was coming out that wasn't just noodling on the blues, was it?
3: Well, you know, it's like there's two kinds of guitar players. One's playing for himself and the other's playing for the song. And yes. all the guys you mentioned, you know, they play for the song. Yeah. And that's the difference. You know, I couldn't stand playing with somebody who just plays for the sake of going up and down a fretboard, 100 miles an hour. You know, a lot of them Thresh metal things and all the rest. It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, that camp. Right. going back to <clears throat> Mike Campbell, you know, he improves everything he plays on. He just makes it sound better. Yeah, his his riffs
2: have, have always been just legends. Just he just comes up with that thing, doesn't yeah.
3: he? Yeah, I mean it was so surprise yeah. to me. It was like I had a wide smile, you know. It was like, geez, I knew it'd be good, but I didn't know it'd be that good, you know.
1: Was there any? Oh, you're talking about your latest album. Was there was there sort of negotiations during that? Would you would you say, you know, could could you try it a bit more like this, or did you, did it come back and that was the sort of that was it?
3: If there was any intelligence involved, it was it was sending the right. Track to the right people. That's right. You know.
2: Yeah. Oh, talking about, can I make one? Sorry, this is way off the beam, but, but there's one lovely little bit of symmetry to do with this, which is you have Robert Trujillo playing bass yeah. on one track, and he's actually playing Jacko's legendary old bass, which is what he played on All American. Really? A New Boy. Yeah. 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 That's pretty special. Yeah. Or he's playing the least Jacko-y bass. He does one little. There's one bit of. I'm a bass player. I'm listening out for this stuff. Yeah. A, there's one bit where he gets a bit fusion, just for a second. So how did you know? How did you know <laughs> he's playing Jacko's bass? So it was. I think it was somewhere in oh, the right, press oh, release. Oh, going. I missed that. I
1: missed everything <laughs> to instincti- do with the I
2: instinctively knew. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Well, I mean, listen, okay, I'm going to throw in another little bass curveball because otherwise this isn't going to come up. But, like, because you always have, you know, you always had amazing musicians. But I just suddenly found the one album of yours that you can't find to stream, which is why you, I, Orta. Yeah. Um, Bernard Edwards. Uh, what?
1: Why yeah, can't yeah. You, you
2: Why can't I mean? we find that anywhere, Ian?
3: Yeah, what's going on, Ian? I don't know. <laughs> it's Columbia. That would <laughs> Columbia, right? No, Dick Asher was the head of Columbia and he kept on getting fired because he didn't agree with payola. And it was most annoying, you know, because you'd sort of make a record and then he'd get fired. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) you know, there'd be no promo. There'd be no, you know, it it happened twice. He was a good record man, but he just wouldn't
2: play. play. He just wouldn't do the payola thing? Yeah, yeah. I wonder if he did that, because that happened with Pink Floyd when they put, um, as an experiment, when they put out Brick in the Wall which yeah. just went to number one everywhere immediately, but but Steve O'Rourke, the manager, turned up in LA, and it just wasn't on the radio anywhere right. at all yeah. because they hadn't done the payola thing, and they they thought this would be big enough, but nothing was, nothing was too big for payola.
3: Yeah, I think they were doing it, and then uh, they decided to stop, and and that was it. It just cut, you know, and yeah,
1: incredible marketing.
3: Ian, <laughs> marketing. Ian one, one of the one of the one of the greatest
1: YouTube clips. I wasn't, unfortunately, wasn't there for the show, although I have friends who were there. But one of the great YouTube clips is definitely at Freddie Mercury tribute concert when you and Bowie and Queen and Mick Ronson play all the young dudes. I mean, I can watch that on loop endlessly. What a buzz that was. And I think, you correct me if I'm wrong, it's it's Rono's last performance, isn't it? I mean, tell us about that. Tell us about that evening and that event.
3: It was big. I mean, it was 4,000 crew. It was like a city backstage. <laughs> I sat in the Queen's box for the first half with Mick and the girls. And uh, we rehearsed for a week, I think, at Pinewood, somewhere like that, a film studio. Uh, people, sportsmen were turning up and golfers and, you know, all kinds of people coming. It was interesting. And David was sitting there with his girl, taking notes of everything. And uh, it was a fantastic week. And then the gig itself... Roger was a little fast, but we did all right, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but Mick was fantastic. It was his last last outing, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, heroes. And when he when he got on guitar, it, it all disappeared. All the pain and you know that he was going through. I mean, when he got on, guitar, no. he was. It was it was straight away, Mick. You sort of look look at the look on his face. I mean, it's, it has to be right, though. Yeah, because you wrote that brilliant yeah. brilliant tribute to
1: him, didn't you? Uh, Michael Picasso, which is a wonderful song, very honest, open
3: song. Well, he's your mate, you know. Uh, he's a big mate of mine for 17 years.
2: Oh, that's lovely because he was—he's so shadow, you know—he was so much part of all, it's all those albums going forward, wasn't he?
3: He's anything he touched, you know. He was. Uh, I don't really like talking about him because it's—it's it's at least two or three hours. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, he was such a character. Someone I feel that we have to mention is a
1: is another rock on tour uh, guest and the mutual friend of me and guys is is, is, jo- is Joe Elliott, who's ever since I've known Joe since the 80s, he, you've, he's held you as his greatest
3: hero and he ends up singing a lot with you as well, doesn't he? Oh, he, he's, he's, he's he nagged his manager into managing me, you know. He's an uh, unstoppable force, you know. I mean, this probably wouldn't have happened, this whole thing, if it was not for Joe. Really? Well yeah because I not 74 did uh, a gig in New York and then I did four nights at the winery for my 80th and he bought his manager mike and uh mike asked to manage me the following day uh, i'm 80 years old and you want you want to manage me you know, it was ridiculous you know? yeah. and he said yeah i want to manage you if you if you if you wouldn't mind you know and it all basically started there you know and then can I sing on something? And I'm like, so I send him seven tracks, tell him exactly what to do. And he does it. Bless him. <laughs> Except for one, he, uh, there's a track uh, called, uh, what's the painter? Um, oh, it's called, oh, oh a Guernica. It's a Guernica. Guernica. Yeah. The middle. Guernica. Yeah.
2: All I got was an email. Fantastic song, by the way. Really, really beautiful
3: song. song. You know, yeah. I got an email from Joe like, can I do a queenie on it? <laughs> so that's the whole middle <laughs> section. He's, he's done a queenie on it
2: when you were playing at the, at Hammersmith and he'd get up every night and do all the young dudes. Yeah. I was kind of waiting for you to sing it.
3: <laughs> he, got uh, a, he, he got a lot of fuck <laughs> for a while there because, well, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, when everybody was genuine,
2: you know? Uh, yeah. No, no, of course it was. It, it was obviously the reasons he wanted to be there. I mm. saw you.
1: I saw you at the yeah. O2 as well, Ian. Uh, um And, um, you know, it's it's always sad because everyone looks so full of life. And then, you know, over on goes.
3: And um, Mick's still with us. What's the lineup at the moment? And is Mock going out again? I wouldn't think so, no, because I, I, I got tinnitus feel bad, you know. Um, I think uh, Mick's been sitting in bed for six years. It's boring. You know, that's what he says. It's boring. Wow. And the last time I spoke to him, he said slight improvement, slight improvement. But it's very difficult you know
1: oh right very, so
3: he's not he's not well mick i i don't know yeah. i mean i, I yeah. i'm not yeah. there you know but uh yeah. we talked to the to his wife now and again you know, yeah. and she's she takes him out he goes out into Hamley now and again oh um, uh, it's geez. not six uh, six years in a in a, in a bed oh, what about what about oh, wow.
1: you Are you taking this album out is defiance part one going out part two
3: I don't know i mean i, I will we haven't finished part two we're about 70 60 70 percent through you know there's still other people involved and uh we're so still know. lining up still lining up monster names
2: to appear on it don't <laughs> so. they're still coming in
1: <laughs> well Ian, man, i think part three part four we're looking forward to them all honestly i swear to god this is this album was such a joy to listen to and, yeah. and anyone oh, who loves Ian Hunter is not going to be disappointed with this. It's, you're giving more pearls to the world.
3: <laughs> well, I hope more people are thinking the same way as you do. <laughs> sure, they are. We shall see. We shall see. Comes out April. Thank you. There's a couple of tracks. There's a
1: couple of tracks that you can go and get. Right, I mean, better roses is out there. Yeah, right
3: there's, you can get Brilliant. "I Hate Hate" and you can get better roses. And the next one is Pavlov's dog. Fantastic. Which, oh, brilliant.
2: Oh, fantastic. 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 Love that. Listen, thanks, Ian. Yeah, yeah. That was an absolute joy. Thank you so much for talking to us. It's brilliant. Oh, you're yeah, very so well. You're such an important part of our life. Ian, if you and thanks, if you, so thank you, for if you come
1: to London, can we take you for tea? Yes, yes. Well, tea. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> or whatever.
3: A, a slap um, yeah. up a slap up meal. Dom <laughs> was up here, you know. Who? <laughs> You're Dom. D- Dom Brown. Uh, what's it? Oh, right. Oh, from from Duran. From Duran.
1: Yes,
3: yes, <laughs> yes. yes. up here. All right. <laughs> Ian. Brilliant. Oh, Thank you. All right. You're very welcome. Uh, fabulous.
1: Yeah, really fabulous. Oh, my God.
2: What a no- You know, I okay, get... But, but there's loads of stuff I didn't get to because there's actually... Because uh, all of the... Uh, you know, I had stuff prepared for all, all the different solo albums. Yeah. You know, he's got the E Street band on one. He's got, you know, this...
1: Then doing? our producer texts us and says we've got to wrap up. Yeah, because uh, he hates. Nah, us. Nah, he because Ian's on a Ian's
0: on a He's busy.
2: He's got things that he's got other people to talk he's got to. A million
1: podcasts, but uh, only this one yeah. counts, of course.
2: But uh, slightly worrying about the Don Brown thing. Well, do you think
1: he uh, he thought think, I played in? Do you think grand? he
2: thought you have played for the other lot? Did he?
1: I don't know. No, we beat him seven nil yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. Tran <laughs> Tran and
0: Spaddle
2: have never had a football match, but if they did. If there's one thing missing from the pop history books, <laughs> it's that. We played, it was a Christmas day, we played between the trenches. <laughs> 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 That's right. It was all peaceful until the midweeks came yeah. out.
1: No, I mean, listen, this has been a joy <laughs> going back and listening to those albums because, oh my God, what a lyricist this man is! What a songwriter he is! And he
2: well, because you, as you said to me before, Gary, I mean, he is kind of the English Springsteen, isn't he? But I wanted because he and that thing of always of because he he does this thing that actually, I mean, Pete Townsend is kind of the other guy who yeah. does this, which is writing songs about music
1: yeah 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 and he's done this a lot hasn't he i mean cleveland rocks yeah, you know yeah. i mean there's there's so many you know saturday gigs obviously you know all the way from memphis uh, uh and on the new album there's a there's a few um better roses and the Gonna last one bring
2: your records uh will do yeah. i mean that's just that did you just love the bit eternal, when he
1: came on the pod it's an eternal earworm. when he came on he went hello and it was, yeah, it, know, was yes. it was it was <laughs> once bitten, bit twice shy yeah. <laughs> uh, um, thank you to our producer Ben Jones for Give Me Sugar, and thank you for all you guys listening to us. Uh, we must say, you know, follow us on Instagram, on Twitter. I think you're on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook personally, but are we on Facebook?
2: I am on Facebook. I do on, I, I have. To, I do my own posts on Facebook. Uh, I'm out there on the front lines of Facebook. Thank you. Um, for but uh, you know, sweet old fashioned thing that I am. Um, and we should warn you. I think we're taking a break next week. Because yeah. we're just too, too busy. Some of us are just too busy. Yes, yes, some of us
1: are too busy. Uh, some of us are going to be uh, treading the boards for a brief moment uh, before you tread the boards, I hear. I think it's been on the news, well, we'll hasn't see. it? We'll it's see. been on the news. Well, yes. We'll see.
2: Yeah, we'll, we'll see. see.
1: We'll uh, anyway, thank you to everyone. Uh, it's a good night from me
2: and it's a good night from them. Rock Hunters is produced by Gimme Sugar Productions for Warner Music Group UK.